Well, the spring game's in the books, and we're going to talk with the scheme master himself, Kyle Jones, about what we saw from the new look Buckeye defense. All that coming up in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with my partner, Johnny Ginner. Johnny Spring Ball in the books now, the spring game behind us. Let's get first impressions. What did you see out on the field on a rainy Saturday in the horseshoe? New look defense, offense as good as ever. Give us your first impressions. Well, first of all, I was surprised that they they hit a little, right? We talked about that last week. Like, nah, no way. You know, this is spring game, glorified practice. You know, we're just gonna do two hand touch and be done with it. They actually they they wanted to run in a little bit. And you know, listening to Ryan Day's comments about that, I it feels like that was a intentional choice, an intentional choice to address address some of the the softness things right like I, I i am kind of surprised a little bit that a they would go to the tackling and b that ryan day was up front and was saying yeah we were soft sometimes that's <laughs> and like i don't know that that level of frankness that level honestly i thought was pretty cool and and honestly it kind of felt like it upped the stakes a little bit not just in terms of like you know the, the likelihood somebody might get actually injured, but also in the sense that it really felt like they had to prove something. So you saw a lot of these young guys, and I know that we're supposed to be watching the defense. And we'll ask Kyle about that and, you know, how effective he thinks they'll be and their new look and all that stuff. But it's really hard to take your eyes off the offense. And CJ Stroud comes in and looks exactly like he's looked for the past, you know, eight months or whatever. And, you know, Kyle McCord came in, did very well for himself. I, they just have so much talent on offense and it's just immediately apparent. It's not one of those things where you're like, okay, well, once they get into a groove or figure out their, they're just, the level of talent is just unbelievably high at all levels. And it's cool to see that guys like, and, and comforting to see that guys like CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, are out there doing their thing and still being great. But Watching Evan Pryor, I mean, goodness gracious, that dude is going to be a problem if they can figure out a way to get him into space consistently. So I don't know, man. I know I was supposed to be, be paying close attention to the defense. I, I just, it was hard because I love watching that offense so much. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Coach Day said in his press conference after the game, you, you know, and I think this is what it all boils down to with this offense, with the team in general, but specifically the offense. He says, you can see the talent level. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's really incredible to watch the possibility of having the, the proverbial three-headed monster at running back. Uh, Evan Pryor and, and Ryan Day praised his wiggle, the wiggle he brings into the game. So you have three pretty different running backs between Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Evan Pryor. You know, they all bring a different, a slightly different variation of skills to the table. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I know what C.J. Stroud's a capable of doing with the wide receiving core. The thing that kind of frustrated me at times last season, particularly late in the season was the rushing attack. And, and you mm -hmm. knew the running backs were good enough, but yet, you know, you, you didn't see Ezekiel Elliott type performance in the postseason as an example. Right. So want to, want to see what those guys can do. And you certainly, uh, yeah, Evan Pryor had a heck of a game out there. You know, it's he looked really good. He looked really good. And the thing is, I mean, Mayan Williams looked really good. Yeah, you know, the, in general, they were both running really, really, really well. It's a lot of confidence, a lot of toughness, and that's what you want to see. And I just, I don't know. I the anytime 
Maya Williams gets out there and does something impressive. I don't know why I find it funny. <laughs> like, I really shouldn't. I mean, he's a really good athlete. He's he's be a starting running back at any number of big time college programs. Uh, but he is just so it feels like he's so antithetical to the kind of offense that Ryan Day runs in general, right? Like he is mm-hmm. such a throwback guy. He's a Carlos Hyde kind of guy. You know what I mean? He's an Antonio Pittman kind of guy. He's not you know, some get guy in space, make guys myths. He's just, he's such a throwback uh, to the trestle era. And I love watching him on the field sometimes because he just, it almost feels like it's better that he doesn't mesh in with what the rest of the offense is trying to do because it throws the defense off so much. Uh, when a guy just comes in and says, no, I'm, I'm killdozer 2.0. And I'm just going to run you over. I, I don't know. I just, I, I love watching that. Yeah, so I mean, between him and prior, it was just like total whiplash as you're watching this offense kind of, you know, do their thing. The thing that was really wild, seeing both those guys get a hundred total yards uh, on, on offense, uh, all three of Ohio's Iowa state's quarterbacks who played Stroud, McCord, Devin Brown, all through for touchdown passes, which, you know, again, you would expect those guys are phenomenal. The passing offense in my mind, never, never in question. And I really do believe after a season when Ohio state had the best offense in the country, they're, I would say odds on favorite to have the best offense in the country again, this season, yeah. uh, the talent on the roster, certainly the, the schematics there, you know, haven't changed it. If anything, you're going to see, um, you know, an, an upgrade at almost every position, just if nothing else due to the addition of, of time and experience, uh, at, at some of those key positions. Yeah. You're losing, first round draft picks in, in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who were featured prominently during the, the broadcast of mm-hmm. the spring game. But Hey, guess what? Wide receivers are plenty behind him who are also likely, or, or at least potential first round draft picks. There, there aren't that many offenses in the country who are going to be able to say that they have, you know, replaced a pair of first rounders with maybe a pair of first rounders. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing because there is so much talent, all over the place, but especially in the, you know, the wide receiver room. Um, it's hard not to feel optimistic when you see this kind of stuff. So, yeah. And, and looking at, you know, down, down through the question, I probably still have a little bit is what's, what's the offensive line going to look like uh, in, in, you know, if time allows, we may, we may talk to Kyle Jones uh, about his take on the offensive side of the ball. I really want to focus on what he saw. He had a great film study session out and we'll bring him on the program here um in 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 a few moments but i want to want to focus in on other things you saw you know we should probably touch on the tributes to the late Dwayne haskins i thought uh as as you would expect from ohio state a an extremely classy uh set of tributes to Dwayne haskins uh from cj stroud wearing Haskins jersey to mm-hmm. the DH initials at the seven yard line on the field, the video tribute, all really touching. Uh, it, it, it felt like, you know, as we talked uh, a, a week ago, this was a program that really wanted to do everything it could to honor the memory of a guy who was really transformational for this program. Yeah. I, I mean, Obviously, what he meant to the program and to the players and everything is just unbelievable. And sometimes it's hard to, to really understand that, I think, from the perspective of a fan, 
because you don't you don't really get to look behind the curtain all that often right and see what the internal dynamics are but when something like this happens um i think it really it's really impressive and kind of amazing to see how close those guys are and how much um they mean to each other and, and that you know the video that they released and all the comments and stuff that people are making and, and just the um you know how people were reflecting on it. it it just it it shows you how important everyone is to each other and in, in a team like that and um i don't know I, it was i think they played it exactly right and they they did really well by him and i hope they continue to kind of remember him during the uh the regular season as we go into the fall I would fully expect that to happen, whether it's, you know, something as kind of low touch as the, the, the helmet sticker decals, mm-hmm. they've done that at times in the past to remember, uh, you know, program legends who've, who've gone on. Um, the, it, it would not surprise me that this is a, a season. And so you think, you know, on the one hand, we're talking about, uh, uh, you, you know, earlier, the mention of toughness. So I was thinking about the bulletin board material that last season has provided for, this team um but not only not only that but wanting to you know do something if you're if you're cj stroud wearing number seven you're going to want to do something to to really um you know honor the memory of of a great quarterback there's a lot of intangible stuff on the table this season for for this team you know going into their their summer workouts there's 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 a lot of things for them to think about here i think off the field in addition to all the things we're going to talk about in a minute here on the field yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and, and that's something where, again, you kind of see the internal dynamics of a team and, and what really matters to them. And I, I just think as as tragic as uh, Dwayne Haslam's passing was, it really did bring out in a lot of ways the best in uh, the people who knew him and, you know, kind of reminds you about A, why he was so important to them and, and B, why that kind of, um, you know, camaraderie and relationships are important in general and i just i don't know it, again it's tragic and terrible and awful um but i think you can still take a lot of positive meaning out of you know understanding how closely these guys work and and you know play together and all that kind of stuff and um i don't know it, it's easy to be cynical about sports it's easy to look at this stuff and kind of go like yeah okay it's all about the money now and i yell blah 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 but it really does mean a lot more than just that to these guys. And um, I think you definitely saw that this weekend. I want to talk about the rest of the offense for a moment. We touched on the the quarterbacks. We, we touched about uh, the, the running backs and the wide receivers. But you know what we haven't talked about yet that uh, I think is a perennial spring game topic of discussion? That'd be the tight ends. Joe Royer had himself a day out there. He was a guy who looked pretty good. Uh, Ryan Day talked about how impressed he had been with the tight ends mm-hmm. and, and acknowledged losing Jeremy Ruckert was a significant loss. But, um, you know, Joe Royer uh, ha- had an excellent day out there. Is this, is this the year? Is this the year? <laughs> throws to the tight ends. Is it? I don't know. I, you know, I, I want to say yes. I want to believe. <laughs> well, I, no, it's not. But, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. It could be. you know what i mean like i i don't know i the thing is is uh i actually went back i was looking at some of um i don't know i i think i was like kind of workshopping a uh a, an article in my head right so i went back and I, I was looking at a lot of the stuff that i had written and other people had written about various spring games going back and i remember i i read something i wrote back in like 2012 
And even then, I'm like, oh, this is the year, guys. They're throwing to the tight ends. You got Jake Stoneburner. He's basically a wide receiver and a tight end's body. There's no way. There's no way they could avoid doing it. It just makes too much sense. And then, of course, he had like three catches all season or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I like I would love to believe it. But at this point, you know, you got to see it before you can actually say it's going to happen because it's just, it, it never seems to actually happen. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm, but maybe to see, you know, and, maybe. And they talked about Royer. He also mentioned Kate Stover, Mitch Rossi. Mitch showed up a few times last season, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so they, they're again, they've, they've, they've got, they've got certainly the talent to get the job done. Um, you know, who, who knows? Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the things, you know, that we'll, we'll talk quite a lot about here with, Kyle Jones when he joins the program in a few moments to talk about the defense is his some of the reactions from the offense CJ Stroud uh singled out the defensive line said the 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 line looked amazing and the, the entire defense had made strides you know I, I, I don't think I would have had would have expected him to say anything uh different but you know JT Tuimaloal after the game talked about and and singled out Larry Johnson and the work they've been doing on technique and pre-snap reads there are a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball who really stood out, I think, in a, in a good way. The The scoring of this spring game was super weird, and I don't yeah, know yeah. who designed it or why, uh, but I think the defense, to me, looked a lot better maybe than what the, the score showcased, particularly when you acknowledge that they're going up against the uh, the best offense, you know, in the country, most likely joining us right. on the 11 dub cast. I'm going to, you know, you know, break in here straight from the hotline scheme master himself, Kyle Jones, Kyle, welcome back to the show. We were just getting ready to talk about our thoughts, uh, about the Ohio state defense, the new look, albeit maybe the vanilla version of the, the defense that we saw at the spring game this week, you had an excellent film study as always, but specifically on what was shown in the 2022 spring game. So let's get right into that. First impressions of your first look at the Jim Niles defense on the field. Well, it's great to be here, first of all, to talk about something positive. Um, it's really nice to come in and have a, a pleasure. And not have to do we a post-mortem. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but let's just start there because as, you know, if you're not paying attention to the details and, and to be fair, this was a, a fairly vanilla looking game plan. You know, you saw that four, two, five. And if all you're looking at is where people line up before the snap. Yeah. It, it looked pretty similar to some things we've seen in the past. Um, but when, you know, you really get into the details, I spent a good chunk of uh, yesterday looking at, there was a lot. And that was really the theme of my film study this week was, you know, beyond the, the, the surface there, there's a lot happening. And this is after Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are both saying beforehand, it's going to be basic. So if this is just scratching the surface, this goes deep. And there's a lot to be, a lot for us to explore as the season goes on. And, and I think the real takeaway that I hope fans have is that the defense is now on par from a complexity and in a planning level with the offense, finally, which was always the biggest, you know, question that I, I never totally understood. Or you have Ryan Day, this guy who's clearly figured out how to put together a complex game plan. 
He's out scheming opponents, you know, pretty much week after week. And yet he's trotting out at the same time within his program, a high school defense. And it just made me think if, if he were to play this defense as an opponent, I can only imagine how many points Ohio State's offense would put up on, on that defense we'd seen the last couple of years. So finally, what, we, what we're seeing with Knowles is really that evolution towards a much more complex, a much more multiple is the term you hear. Um, and, you know, I think that's really the takeaway that fans should have is that even though this was just scratching the surface, you know, there's so much more to come here that it's easy to, to, to tell just from having watched some Oklahoma state film this past year or, you know, from this past year, you know, they didn't even blitz. And that's a huge part of what Jim Knowles does. He blitzes all the time and they didn't send a single blitz on Saturday. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly a layman. I mean, I'm obviously a layman, but I'm honestly really excited just like trying to figure out in my, my tiny little lizard brain, right. All different things that I'm going to be looking for, uh, you know, in this upcoming season, and I went through your article and, and the one thing that really jumped out at me again, someone who's a big dumb idiot, but, but I was fascinated by the shell look that you kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit, and that to me seemed something, at least in terms of how they they line up pre-snap that I hadn't seen in a little bit. Now, is that yeah. correct? Incorrect? Like it, it just felt different what you're looking at in the defensive secondary and and what kind of coverages can they present in that shell formation? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, it's something that he talked about Jim Knowles at the uh, coaching clinic um, that Ohio state holds every year, the weekend of the spring game. Uh, You know, he talked about it. He goes, this messes with quarterbacks. Now I'm going to preface this by there's going to be at least 50 comments on the website uh, this fall where the corner's playing soft coverage like mm-hmm. that. And so what we mean by the shell that Johnny's talking about for people who haven't read, essentially all five defensive backs, the corners, the nickel, both safeties, they're all lined up on a line about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. It's just one flat line. It, it's giving nothing away as to what the coverage is going to be. Right. You are giving a soft shell. You know, you're giving a, a soft coverage look to the outside receivers. Yeah, they want to turn and throw a five-yard hitch, they're probably going to complete it, which happened a few times on Saturday. And there's going to be a bunch of people who don't realize what's happening in the bigger picture here. They'll get upset about that. And that's, that is what it is. But that look throws quarterbacks off. It throws offensive play callers off. And I think this is one of the biggest things, you know, we had some comments from Knowles when he met with the media uh, this spring, uh, Dan and Griffin did a good job of, of getting those down where, you know, Knowles isn't just trying to trick the quarterback. He's trying to trick and get in the mind of that, of that offensive coordinator. And that, to me, is such a different game than what we've seen the last two years, which was all about we want to play fast. We want the guys to be able to get out there and read and react and just, you know, we want to be good at what we are. And, you know, if you're an offensive play caller, that's, you know, that's offensive. You're not even going to try to mess with me? (laughs) Screw you, buddy. I'm going (laughs) to throw the kitchen sink back at you. So this is really the antithesis of it. It's yeah, we've got five guys lined up on the line here. What do you think is going to happen? It could be all kinds of different coverages. You know, they showed four or five just from that look alone, and that's 100% by design. Um, so, yeah, I think what, what we're seeing is this evolution of it's not going to be perfect, and I think that's the other thing that people have to recognize, especially early. There will be blown assignments. This is complex. You know, if you look at the NFL and you look at big plays in the NFL, 
nine times out of 10, what is it? Oh, it's a, that was a blown coverage. It was a missed assignment. Like that's going to happen here, especially early on in that season as they're trying to get through and get comfortable uh, with this new system. There's just a lot of it. But I'd rather have that be the case of, oh, two guys went to the same spot, leaving one guy open because you can fix that really easily versus why are they just running the ball down the throats of the defense over and over and over again? That's a lot harder to fix. And so I think just the systemic planning that we're seeing here, there's, there is a plan. And I think that's the really interesting part here. It's a big complex plan, but there's a plan. So you mentioned the complexity and then that, that being the corollary that, Hey, there, there are going to be some blown coverage, missed assignments, that sort of thing. It, how complex is this defense? And in, I guess what I'm thinking of is I remember hearing years ago, we're going to talk about Dick LeBeau a little bit later in the program, mm-hmm. one of my favorite Ohio State alumni of all time. I think maybe one of the underrated greats uh, at, at Ohio State alumni football history. But the the thing I remember hearing at one point was talking about how complex Dick LeBeau's defenses were that rookies in his system didn't get a lot of playing time, not because they weren't good mm-hmm. enough, but because it took them that long to learn the system. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the trade-off here or how long will it take in the, the, the average Ohio state defender, some young four or five star coming into the system to really get what he's doing. He, he's not going to have these guys for four years, like he might've had Oklahoma state or mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, player transitions are going to happen much faster. Can they get it quick enough to, to be lethal with it? It's a great question, but I think you look at a guy like Kai Stokes, and how well he played on Saturday, right? This is a guy who's been there for a couple months, right? And he's looking comfortable in the system. I think the reality is, you know, it's an interesting question with the Dick LeBeau situation because we're talking about pro football in the late 90s, 2000s. The learning curve was so different back then because what high school, what, what colleges ran was more similar to what high schools ran, which had been kind of the same thing for years and years. So by the time you got to Pittsburgh and played for Dick LeBeau or when he was in Cincinnati, played from there, it was an entirely different world that you were learning. The reality is, is these guys are playing quarters. They're playing different coverages that mo- I would guarantee you the things that guys like Stokes and Ronnie Hickman and Josh Proctor, like what they're getting asked to do is probably stuff they did at certain times in high school. And that was the thing that always blew my mind about what we saw in the past is it's not like these kids are unable to learn how to play quarters or learn how to play some of these, you know, pattern match coverages. High schools are doing, high schools are doing it all over the country. And the way it's being taught and how good the coaching has become and how well coaches have, have been able to translate it to teach 15-year-olds how to play it. You know, it's not like these kids are learning. It's not like these guys are learning the basics of pattern matching. They're just being taught, hey, in this situation, you're going to do it this way. If I call that, you're going to do it that way. And it's really the biggest challenge is about communication. It's not about learning the techniques. It's not about learning the schemes, you know, and learning the playbook. It's learning, hey, when we say this, it means you got to do that. And there's just a lot of calls. And over time, that's going to be the key. And it's not going to be about, hey, Josh Proctor got better at his flat foot reads, although, you know, might, which is, just, you know, it's a safety plan downhill on the run. It's, is Josh Proctor working really well with Ronnie Hickman and working really well with the with the linebackers and talking to the corners and they're all on the same page with whoever the play caller, you know, who is signaling him in from the sideline, that's going to be the key. And that's the question that you wonder how much is too much that can you actually communicate? And, and we'll just have to see. Well, I mean, I think you made a 
really great point when you talk about how complex the offense is and then the same isn't being expected the defense it's not like defensive guys are dumb and they don't know how to like you know exactly. handle this stuff you know they're these are intelligent guys they, they know football they know how to play the game they can handle a more complex system um it's it's interesting to me a how people this is another thing that you brought up that i was thinking i was like that's that's a really good point how people will react to a certain type of defense, especially I remember people would give even Jim Haycock, who I don't think anybody would accuse of being a poor defensive coordinator, oh. but playing too soft sometimes, yeah. right? Playing like giving people that cushion, letting them, you know, go through the, you know, the easy out. And you mentioned in your article, like, look, you know, yeah, CJ Stroud completed a five yard pass, but he also, that also meant he had to go through his progressions and then skip you know, guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba exactly. who are running down the sidelines for 25 yards, which he normally would complete if it mm-hmm. you know were busted coverage or something like that. I it, It's just interesting to me how people are going to have to adjust their expectations and kind of like be okay with Ohio State not, you know, giving up zero yards passing, zero yards rushing, but maybe half of what they were giving up is still a pretty incredible accomplishment if they're able to do something like that. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think that's that's the, the the challenge for fans, I would say. And and what I mean by that is the game has changed in such a way. Offenses are just better. And there are going to be fans that are going to look at it. And there, we know this better than anybody. Until Ohio State wins 100 to nothing, and every single snap <laughs> on defense is a sack, a tackle for loss, a forced fumble, and or an interception that they take to the house for a pick six. Until that happens on every single snap, people are going to think that the defense stinks. Right. Because they don't understand how defense works. And that's fine. Like, it's complex. The game's really complex. TVs, especially Fox, it kills me. They zoom in so I can see the center's butt crack, but I can't see the receivers down the field. Like, I don't care about getting a close-up of the left guard. It's nice that he's on TV, but you don't need to zoom in that far on the quarterback. Anyway, um, (laughs) getting worked up here. But, you know, it's a complex game. And the point of, of, yeah, if you're C.J. Stroud and you're this, you know, and you've got the best receiver room in the country and the best, maybe best player in the country in Jackson Smith and Jigba out there, you want to get him the ball. And that defense said, all right, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to make you throw a check down to Evan Pryor, which if I'm a defensive coordinator, that's a win, man. That's just a win. Like, that's what, that's what defenses are trying to do is I'm going to try to make it as hard as I can for you, the offense, the opposing offense, to score. And especially if you're Jim Knowles, you're doing that knowing, yeah, because if you, I stop you two or three times, guess what? C.J. Stroud and that whole offense gets to now come out and have the ball. You just gave it back to them. I feel pretty good about where I'm standing right there. And that's – that's the whole idea of complementary football and, and how one side of the ball challenge, you know, helps the other. And, and so it allows Jim, you know, Jim Knowles to be really, really aggressive and to play these mind games. And frankly, if you want to, you know, the irony of it, of where he came from at Oklahoma state, that team, you know, that program was defined, defined by being so good offensively for so long. And yet last year, that was probably the worst offense Mike Gundy's had that, you know, he's been in Stillwater. And so you've got this incredible defense of getting stops, of getting the ball back and handing it to an offense that's not really doing a lot with it. Now imagine taking that defense and saying, okay, CJ, what are you going to do with it? That's a totally different world that I think, you know, fans have to be excited for. When you get a stop this in, in, in modern football, 
that's a huge win because it means I've got so much more momentum and I've got the ability to dictate this game. My working hypothesis, pretty much this whole off season has been that if Ohio state had had even a moderately functional defense last year, they're playing for a national title. Uh, a is that a valid hypothesis and B is it safe to say they will have a moderately functional defense this season moving forward? I think that's very fair to say, given that this was a team that with basically the same defense did play for a national title the year prior. Mm-hmm. And you could maybe make an argument of, you know, as good as Justin Fields was and, and some of the other players that the offense was better last year. Just statistically, statistically, it was better last year. Right. So yeah, that's a very valid argument to make Andy. Um, and I, but I think as you look at this offense this year, yeah, this defense doesn't have to be a top 10 unit. It's got to be top 20, top 25. It means winning games the way that, not to bring up, bring this up, but the way that Michigan won the game last year, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you can't stop us. We just need to stop you two or three times. Right. That's it. That's the game. That's how you win. And can this team do that? Well, we know one side of the ball certainly can. That's, that's for darn sure. And if you're just doing enough to throw opponents off, and especially through the regular season, you know, you get past Notre Dame, there's not a team on the schedule that can touch this program or, you know, this program from a talent perspective. So there are going to be, you know, that month of September, you're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff, I feel like, because, you know, you can slip up against Arkansas State and give up a long you know, a long touchdown or a long run to, to uh, Arkansas State early. You can give that up to a MAC team because you know that a second you give it back to CJ, they're going to probably score. So, you know, that's where I think you're going to see some interesting growth is that month of September because they've got some room to get things right as long as they get past Notre Dame. So, you know, you're looking at, let's say you're Jim Knowles, right? And you're going in, you're, you're looking at your personnel and whatnot, and you, you know what you want to run. And you have a pretty positive spring. Who do you think are the guys that you're going to be looking towards in the fall to really like step up that maybe haven't done so up until now? Well, I don't know about having done so, but I cannot overstate how important the safeties are in this system. You know, I put it in the, in the piece today. They are the guys that make everything go for this entire system. Um, you know, they make everybody right. They're asked to do a lot. They're asked to be, you know, they call the free hitter in against the run. So what that means, um, you know, if you haven't read the piece yet, essentially the defensive line is not a glamour position anymore. I'm curious to see what what that does to recruiting. And frankly, you know, that's a whole other discussion we can have about Larry Johnson and his future, because it's a, it's a meat and potatoes, get your hands dirty. Um, you know, Zach Harrison, I don't even think his name was called once on the <laughs> broadcast and, but he did a good job and you know why he did a good job? Cause he ate up blocks and that's what his job's going to be. Now it's going to be cut across the face of a tackle of an offensive tackle, hold up blocks to let Tommy Eichenberg and steel chambers run free and make tackles. And also just importantly, occupy blockers. So no one touches Josh Proctor. So no one touches court Williams, Ronnie Hickman, because those are the guys that are going to step up and make plays. Um, They're going to be asked to do a lot in the run game. They're going to be asked to do a lot in the pass game. They're going to be playing and defending slot receivers. You're going to have to, you know, help out and make sure because yes, those corners are going to be put on islands, 
but you're going to have to help them out as well. And, and it's not just Ronnie Hickman's the free safety. So he plays center field. It's he plays center field on one play. He plays manned up over the slot. The next play he is running a deep over route on the next play. So they're going to have a lot on their plate. And I think regardless of who the personal is, I think we can be pretty confident that McAllister, you know, the transfer from Oklahoma state playing in the slot, the nickel safety, as they call it, he's going to be there. He knows the system. They can rely on him. Ronnie Hickman's a stud. I think Ronnie Hickman's going to be an All-American this year. If Ohio State makes a national championship, it's because Ronnie Hickman's a first-round draft pick that everyone in America wants on their football team. It's that simple. If Ronnie Hickman isn't that player, Ohio State's not playing for the national championship. Okay. So you've highlighted some names we've got to watch. This overall has been a relatively optimistic segment, which you know, on the one <laughs> hand makes me happy. On the other hand, it makes me ask this question. <laughs> what are you concerned about after watching this game where, and you've just given us a couple potential pitfalls. If, if, if a couple key guys there in the backfield aren't uh, as good as advertised or as hoped or as needed to be, but, but what are the pitfalls uh, or, or potential roadblocks that you saw that you fear ahead based on what you saw Saturday? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I think the the challenge is going to be the sooner that they can get ramped up, and this is, goes back to the communication style, they're going to be good at some things. There's no doubt about it. There's too much talent on this team. There's too much organization. There's too much of a plan in place. They're going to have some things that they're good at, and they're going to figure those out in that first month. They're going to get a fastball that's going to work. And we kind of saw this over the last few years where, you know, Ohio State, it wasn't the fact that playing man coverage was bad. It was just the fact that that was the only thing that they could do. Right. They had good corners. They had good guys that could go out and man up on an outside receiver and say, I'm going to take you out of this game because we've got studs on the corner. And that works until you have someone who doesn't have a stud on, you know, outside. They've got somebody who can hurt you over the slot. They've got an athletic tight end and they can hurt you in ways that you don't have change ups to. And that was the analogy we used all last year. You know, what's this team? What's this defense's curveball? What's their change up? You know, what is the thing that they can throw when the fastball doesn't get them, you know, isn't getting out. And that's the thing you have to worry about is they're going to have things that they're going to figure out and they're going to get good at early in the year. But are they going to be good enough at three or four things? Because as the season goes on, as much as Jim Knowles is trying to mess with opponents and he's trying to, uh, you know, give them false signals and, and say to a call play caller, hey, I know you think I'm going to do this but I'm actually doing that. Teams are too good. There's too much good scouting equipment available. There's too much good video analysis. You know, everything is there that a good program that you play late in the season and, you know, Penn state's trying to win this game too. Michigan's trying to win this game too. Michigan state's trying to win this game too. All it takes is for them to figure out some of those tendencies late in the season because it's, and then to be able to exploit it because it's impossible. And we've seen this and we've seen this with Ohio state's defense multiple times. We saw it last year. We saw it in 2018, the end of the Shiano era. You can't fix it midway. You don't get to add new wrinkles midway through the season. It just doesn't work. There's not enough time. Body People are too banged up. You have to be teaching it now and getting good at it now. So to answer your question, it was a long-winded answer, but it's really get good at three or four or five different things so that you've got those pitches later in the season because they're going to figure out your tendencies and you're going to have to use those other pitches. You're going to have to use that curveball to get out of a jam. You're going to have to use and play a whole game where you're playing just 
country cover three or something, you know, like you're playing some defense that we aren't anticipating you doing, and you've got to be good at it enough to play at 40 snaps a game in November. In the Big Ten. That's what I'm afraid of. By the way, I know that we were, uh, you know, talking about, we're going to get in the defense and blah, blah, blah. I, I would re- be remiss if we didn't at least briefly touch on the offense. I We spent, before you came on, we spent probably a good 20 minutes just talking about how freaking awesome everybody looks and how, <laughs> like, I'm serious, though. Am I stupid? I, I go out and I see, I, I turn on the spring game and I'm like, it doesn't look like C.J. Stroud ever stops. Like, he just, he continues. Mm-hmm there's no drop off. It looks like he just stepped right off the Rose bowl field and right onto the spring practice game. There seems to be no misbeats on mm-hmm. this team right now. It's really wild to see how this offense, I mean, obviously the passing game, but you know, you're a guy like, you know, mine Williams looked incredible. <laughs> even, yeah. You know, ever prior, like I, I just, I am kind of not like in awe, but it's, it's very interesting to me as an like you know again as a layman to say like how is it possible that they're this efficient and good and and i don't know it just it's it's not like gimmicky it's just that they're incredibly efficient in what they do yeah well i I think the the spring games are made for offenses like this Mm -hmm. um you know this that that scrimmage did not magnify some of the questions that we have about whatever questions there are it certainly wasn't didn't magnify them right it and what those questions are one just new body you know bodies and new places on the offensive line there were a couple places where paris johnson got beat in the pass rush that's something to keep an eye on well Um, i choose to believe it's because the defense is just that great right like there's no that's the other great thing about the the spring game right like you can just spend everything Mm -hmm. in in just saying how awesome the team is no matter (laughs) right 100 percent um but I, I think that that's a question that we have to have is, is this offensive line going to be as good at containing elite pass rushers? Because at the end of the season, that's who you play. Those are the best teams. You know, again, thinking about what happened in Ann Arbor, Aiden Hutchinson ate the lunch of whoever was at tackle. You know, all three guys that played tackle that day had bad days. Well, that you can't have that and hope to win national championships because now imagine them playing against Georgia, where everyone on Georgia is an All-American. Everyone's a first-round pick. So that's a problem. You know, they've got to be able to seal up the pass protection a little bit more. They've got to get a little bit more creative. I think that's why Justin Fry came over. And frankly, the tight end position is a question. It's a huge question. Um, Joe Royer had a nice catch. That's great. Um, you know, G. Scott looked pretty good. Also as a receiver, none of them had to block. You know, if you even looked at the way that Ohio State lined up in that game, half the time the tight ends were split out like slot receivers. So they weren't asked to do the thing that we think that they're not good at. So I I think that's the big question mark is, one, who is the guy that's going to emerge? We know Mitch Rossi is going to be there on rundowns, but, you know, he's also more of the, you know, what you call a Y off, meaning, you know, he's that guy that's almost like a fullback that, you know, goes in motion. He's not on the line. You, you know, who's the guy that's going to put his hand in the dirt and block a defensive end? I think that's the big question remaining. And I was frankly surprised that they didn't go out and try to add somebody like that in the transfer portal. I mean, maybe they did and didn't get them, but um, that to me was was a big shock. You talked about the offensive line because that's been one of the the concerns I've had, and and along with the the things you mentioned, uh, what. <laughs> What's your DEFCON level on depth 
in this offensive line? Are, are there, are there enough bodies that are good enough to get this team to the promised land? Well, that's a great question. Um, I know I've said you guys put lots of great questions today. Um, <laughs> but we're, really we're, can... we're trained professionals, Kyle. Yeah, you know, I mean, really we, we, got a, we got a standard here. <laughs> oh, it's just what a, so nice. Um, no, it's the right question is really, is really the answer. Um, we don't know who's good enough yet. I think there are enough bodies. I think the bodies are in the right places now. I think Paris Johnson is a tackle. Um, Dewan looked great, both in, in run and pass pro. Um, you know, that's, that's good news. I think they've gotten enough talent through the door. The question is, you know, what – and none of us can know the answer to it. How different is – you know, stud is, is the player progression from stud to uh, Justin Fry. You know, what does that look like? What does that development curve look like? Is it so different in what they're trying to do that the disruption of the way that stud did things and the way he trained his line and maybe totally different from the way Justin Fry is, is training, training them now? We don't know the answer to that, frankly. Um, but, you know, it, it's not that one's better or worse, but it's simply – the fact that you disrupted it could disrupt the development of some of those backups, some of those younger guys. And that's, I think, a question worth asking. And, and frankly, I wish I had a way to say, look for this, look for that. But we're not going to know until we start to see some games. And, and we might not know until October. You know, there's going to be guys who are dinged up. There's going to be guys that miss games. And that's when we're going to find out. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the depth – I think is something, you know, that, that obviously is, you know, on the minds of, of Knowles and, and Day and, and company. Um, but I'm just going to ignore that as consideration and choose to focus <laughs> on the fact that they're going to be great and <laughs> there's nothing to worry about and everything will be awesome. So how about that? I, and, and here's the thing. And going into the fall, uh, there are no, you know, depth, uh, you know, things to work out. There are no, uh, you know, who's going to be the one who they just, they know everything and they're going to win. 12, 13 games with their eyes closed. That's, that's pretty much where I'm at. I don't know that, you know, that's, I feel like there's no reason for me to worry at all, despite of what you, what you just laid out. Yeah. I mean, this, this team, it's all going to be about the development of that defense. And, and I think we're also judging it at such a absurdly lot, you know, high level, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the only corollary you can make in, in sports is like the ultra elite European soccer teams, right? You know, the the Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid and Man City. Like these teams where it's like, yeah, winning the league's fine. Winning this, this trophy's fine. All that matters is did we win the Champions League? That's right. it. Are we the champions? You know, PSG is going to walk to the French League title. They're probably going to win two or three trophies this year. And their fans are literally – booing them at home games because they only made the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Right. Like that's the level that Ohio State's also at. And I think it's it's crazy. We have to like pinch ourselves sometimes and realize like how absurd is this that this is the level of expectations year in, year out. And we're literally looking at this team and going and this program going, yeah, you know, a few things break right during the national title game. But, you know, if this one little thing goes wrong, and I think that's also the fun part of, of appreciating, like, you kind of have to be perfect, which, you know, we think it's about, oh, just recruit all the five stars and just do that. And, like, there's so many little things that have to break right. And I, I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And, and little things like the safeties being healthy and, you know, Josh Proctor literally getting enough snaps 
in practice to learn the defense, to be able to do those things so that he can be the player that we all think he can be, but he has to know the calls and he has to know to who to look for when he doesn't get the call. Who's going to help him out? Is Ronnie Hickman going to anticipate that, hey, he might not know what that means. I'm going to be able to help him, but I'm 20 yards away getting lined up myself, so how do I signal it to him? Those are the little things that may make the difference between this team winning a national championship or not. And it's just crazy because we, we always assume it's other stuff. I think there's, there's a concept that the teams have to have an identity uh, that if you look at some of the great teams over the years, you know, that some of them it's, it's this, you know, finesse, some of them it's, it's smash mouth, grind them into the turf. Uh, if you had to, based on what you know about this offense and what you saw from this defense Saturday and in your studies of Nowell's, uh, you know, scheme and philosophy over the years, what do you, if you had to guess today, what the identity of this team is going to be this year? What's your expectation of what that will look like when we sit down here and do a post-mortem, hopefully a positive one as we diagnose all the things that went right this season. But, but either way, if we have this conversation uh, X number of months from now, what's your prediction on what the identity of this team will look like? Uh, I think it's going to be a track meet. And I will give you a corollary that a lot of older Ohio State fans may appreciate. Um, there was a period in the early 2000s when Glenville High School uh, was great at football, turning out tons of football players, obviously went to Ohio State. Ted Ginn Sr. was the coach. So we had Ted Ginn Jr. You had Dante Whitner. You had a bunch of other guys that you know eventually made their way south to Columbus. Um, but they had a track and field dynasty. I mean, they were dominating people in track and field. I think they won three or four, maybe even five straight team titles, which in track and field is really hard to do because it's about, you know, most of most teams in track and field, you lose one kid, one sprinter and great. You go from winning the track, you know, team title next year and not even like finishing in the top 10 and they won it for, you know, four or five years in a row. And the fascinating part was, is there were certain field events and certain events that they just didn't even care about. They weren't even trying. They weren't even attempting to say, you know what? Yep. There are 15 or 16, however many events there were, we're going to make sure that we're good at all of them. They said, Nope, we're going to be so dominant in seven or eight of these that you don't even have a prayer. Mm-hmm. We're going to just absolutely destroy you in all of the sprints and all of the jumps. We're going to have one thrower that's decent. That's all we need. We don't need a pole vaulter. We don't need a two miler you guys, because if you are good enough at that, having that two miler, you probably don't have a sprinter too. So that's fine. So we'll give you the two mile. We'll give you the four by 800 relay. We'll give you the, you know, the shot put in the pole vault and we'll win everything else. And they did. And that's just what they did is they just, they just stacked it. And they said, we are just unstoppable in all of these different, we're going to win every relay. We're going to win the 400. We're going to win the four by one. We're going to do all that. And that's what this Ohio State team is going to do, is they're going to say, you know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to run right past you. We don't think you can guard our receiver. We don't think that you can stop us on offense. We're going to force you to play left-handed you know, when you've got the ball because you're going to be playing from behind the whole time. You know, If you think about the Michigan State game last year, the most fun game of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Highly touted, top, you know, top opponent. You know, There's all the storylines, final home game. 
And they just basically said, cool, if you want to hand it off to Kenneth Walker 25 times, that's cool. And get six yards of carry. We're just going to keep throwing 40 yard bombs. So what do you want to do here? That's what the identity of this team is going to be. And that's so demoralizing to other programs. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you are another program in the big 10, you're looking at this going, what do we, I don't, what, what do we even do? And I think honestly, the Michigan fans are so excited of, and they should be because they got that victory. You know, I know people don't want to hear that on this podcast because they didn't think they were getting that victory last year. I'm sure they were, there was, you know, they'll tell you now, Oh yeah, I always believe, but, but no, they didn't believe that. That was such a, a surprise to them that they were able to be the ones that were hanging and putting up points and the whole game. I promise you, they were scared. I'm, I know many of them spoke. They kept waiting for just someone, please tackle Hassan Haskins. Just at one point tackle Hassan Haskins, because you know, that CJ Stroud's going to get to throw the ball to Garrett Wilson and to Jackson Smith and Jake Budden, Chris Olave. And that's what all these programs live in fear of is that we have to be perfect to beat Ohio state. And that's a really scary thing to be against because they're just this overwhelming force that as soon as they get ahead of you, you can't come back. You're not coming back on this team. So you can't let them get out in front. The the natural corollary that, that you follow up question, I guess that I have to ask is who are the teams? I won't say in the big 10, because I'm guessing I can, probably point to them uh and and the answer is maybe none in the big 10 but who are the teams out there that theoretically can hang with this ohio state team uh in in its in its best form if we assume that things go right more than they go wrong in in other words uh the team Mm -hmm. plays to its proverbial potential who are the teams that are built to hang with them i mean you know the answer i I do i just want to hear you say it (laughs) There's the Death Star in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that one's I pretty mean, good. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the one. I mean, they're they're the other version of this. Um, you know, Georgia's defense last year was so special because of what that defensive front, because of how good that and the depth they had on the defensive line. I I don't feel like. I mean, if they can replicate it good for them and, and it, because it was just a special year kind of like with LSU a couple of years ago where you know you just had this kind of collection of special talent in one place that was so hard to replicate we might not see it again you know I don't know how Georgia replaces all those guys they're going to be good but it, you know I, I don't think that they're the kind of program that is going to be year after year be able to just run and hang with Ohio State you know they're I'm sure there will be someone um, that will emerge. I don't know if we you know where they'll come from. I don't, I don't think it's LSU yet. I don't think it's, you know, USC, who knows, who knows how quick Lincoln's going to get them up and running. Um, you know, I don't think Texas is back. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Florida's obviously got very low expectations, you know, with a coaching change. So yeah, you look around and you say, who's the other, who's the other team in the room? there's just really one that I think you look at that has that, that strikes that same level of fear into another team. And it's those guys in in Tuscaloosa. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how Ohio state gets to that matchup and, you know, and in the meantime, I'm sure there'll be a lot of hemming and hawing and wringing of hands, but I'm excited to see how this team really 
uh, emerges after this off season because they they went out people demanded that Ryan Day go and do what he needed to do to fix the def- and I, defense and I think he he went and did everything he possibly could and brought in the guy to to try to do that. Um, oh yeah. So I'm excited. I'm I'm really pumped to see what it what it looks like, even if it's not you know quote unquote perfect or exactly what we expect. It's going to be different, and that's I think the most exciting part about it. Yeah, I mean they they spent the money. I mean, they did exactly yeah. what this what this program's supposed to be, and I think that was that that was the thing that if you're a fan, like, be patient. You got to let let him have time to do and be what he is and and what he wants to be. But you cannot make qualms about you know Gene Smith went out and wrote the check. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it, plain and simple. You you want to compete? This is what this program's about, and they showed it by going to get Jim Knowles. Al Jones, uh, always a pleasure. Glad that we had you on to talk about happy things instead of uh, you know doing the <laughs> right. postmortem. We'll look forward to doing it again. Uh, we'll we'll bring you back on here uh, maybe after the Notre Dame game to uh, diagnose for for good or for ill. Uh, I guess let's let's throw down a marker now. Your level of optimism about the Notre Dame game uh, as it stands after spring practice season is over. I mean, I still, I still feel confident Ohio State's going to come away with the victory. Do I think it's going to be the, you know, a, a similar to the Michigan State game? No, I think it could be ugly. There could be some things that make us all, you know, leave that game and go, oh, there's still some things to work on. That was close. Oh boy. Uh, or you know, it, it could even be as simple as CJ. What what happened to him? He's not the Heisman front runner anymore. He threw an interception today. You know, those kinds of things happen, but that's also, that's big boy football. You know, that's what you want. That's what, you know, it shouldn't be a much anticipated top five game if it's a blowout. So, you know, I do feel good. I think being at home plays a huge factor. Marcus Freeman's first ever game as a head coach. You know, I wish him luck, but I, the tall order, especially against this offense. Al Jones, thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Uh, if folks have not done so, Go to the site and read the film study about what we saw from Jim Knowles' defense. Anything but basic. Great read, as always, Kyle. Thanks for joining us on the Dubcast. All right. right. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Johnny. Let's uh, let's shift to our favorite segment of the program. It is time for Ask Us Anything, and a good time to remind everyone that the Dubcast is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, T-shirts, stickers, all things for the discerning sports fan, Buckeye fan, and, and one hopefully looking forward to a great season ahead after that wrap-up from Kyle Jones. Uh, drygoods.11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com. Johnny, my man, what do we have in the mailbag this week? Well, we want to remind you that you can send questions to ask us anything in the Dubcast by uh, sending us a whatever missive that, that strikes your fancy to Dubcast at 11 Warriors. Dot com and let's go ahead i've got i have one uh you know they're both great questions one normal question and one incredibly insane question so i'm going to let you pick <laughs> uh which one you want to start with first well, with a lead up like incredibly insane i feel like i have to go with incredibly insane just all right well, let's start with incredibly it's, insane it's, it's, it's going to be driving me crazy not to know what qualifies as an incredibly insane question it's it's pretty insane well it's <laughs> the first part of it it's a it's it's kind of a multi-part question the first part is is goofy but not insane and then the second part just ratchets it up about a hundred percent um okay this is from josh who wants to know uh what are your starting five for a basketball team of breast breakfast cereals 
And what role does each play on the court? Okay. So not only do you have to have like a starting five, like these are my my guys, but you got to figure out who the center is, the point guard. Okay, so here's shooting the shooting guard. One. I got I got to be honest with you here. Um, don't say you don't eat breakfast cereal. That's not that's not an option. You've eaten five breakfast cereals. I, I have. I but but where I'm going with this is I'm not sure they make some of these anymore because oh no that's fine that's <laughs> fine no no, no that's because fine that's the fine. last time I consumed breakfast cereal regularly it's not to say that I haven't in the last 25 years but it's probably sure. been 25 years since I consumed breakfast cereal regularly mm-hmm. um and partly with I got to give I got to give a shout out to my dad uh my dad is a great man and i just am so thankful for uh him and for so many different reasons but one of the things uh, after he and my mother split up when we were kids dad had this insistence that his boys would have a hot breakfast every morning before they went to school and so dad while working two jobs um you would get up every morning and we would have some hot breakfast and it was almost never the same thing twice you know one morning it might be bacon and eggs the next morning it's french toast the next morning it's you know chip beef and gravy it's and he he really um he really that was something that was very important to him and so the three of us would sit there together and have breakfast of of a morning before we went off to school so Mm -hmm. uh it was not he was dad was never going to just shove um you know a bowl of cheerios in front of us so but i do like some breakfast cereal so all that said god five though uh ones i loved when i was a kid included uh cookie crisp i don't know if they make that cookie anymore crisp. all right cookie crisp. love love cookie crisp that was one i liked honey nut cheerios i don't really care for regular cheerios i, I, I don't, quite I don't really get either. it but um love loved honey nut cheerios thought those were great tony tiger um i'm big 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 fan of tony tiger i don't know do they still are they allowed to make sugar cereals anymore i'm not sure Sure. uh is that still a thing okay good um, yeah they just make granola cereals and then and so that's how they mm-hmm. get you your 17 grams of sugar per serving that's that's how that works i got i got three pretty good there apple jacks i liked apple jacks oh i love apple jacks you know that was good um i was never really into even as a kid i was never really into any of the ones that had marshmallows in them Really? Um, I, you know, too styrofoamy. Like I just that huh. it was a texture thing. Not even so much the All flavor. Right. It was just a weird. And I'm not a texture eater. Like you know, you know how people will get grossed out about something not because of the flavor but because of the mouthfeel or the texture i'm not that way at all i i can just handle about anything um texturally but i i just never liked the texture of marshmallow cereal so let's see that's four what would be my fifth boy yeah tell me what positions they're at though too yeah god i don't even know where to go with that um so so <laughs> well my, you know okay but guard, okay my point guard my point because <laughs> you gotta have a good yeah, point who's guard. gonna be like your your floor general like who's the what's the what's the cereal that's gonna be your go-to like yeah, you know, tony tiger's way bring, tony tiger's bringing this thing down the floor all right he's he's definitely bringing this thing down the floor okay um i'm i've got uh, i've got cookie crisp in the paint he's uh he's ready to because you know that's a slam dunk uh anytime Yes. he gets the ball under the Power rim forward. it's it's, like it's, it. it's going in so he's down in the paint um i'm gonna take apple jacks from from downtown uh he's gonna be my he's gonna be the he's got the, the, he's the, a shooting guard he's he's the threebler in my in my <laughs> office because i'm i'm not going to him every time but i know when i do it's a sure thing yeah uh so so that's my philosophy there uh let's see I, I only got you five so honey nut cheerios you know honey nut cheerios yeah um boy we're really stretching my understanding of basketball <laughs> schematics now. 
Uh, What's the center? Center, I feel like, has to be something very robust, right? Something very hearty. That's probably the tough. fifth. That's probably the fifth. Uh, steel cut oatmeal. Yeah, there you go. No, <laughs> because, uh, well, you know what? But, but I think you, know, you put in a valiant effort, and I think you deserve the 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 chance to use that as one of your options. I'm, so I'm taking fine. steel cut oatmeal because that's the breakfast cereal I've actually eaten in the last 12 months. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like my cereals. I'm a cereal guy. I don't eat a ton of it, but I like it as a snack um i don't really eat that much breakfast and when i do it's just a banana like i don't really i don't go for a big hearty breakfast but i do like my i cereals. am a big hearty breakfast guy which will not surprise you probably yeah well i mean it's just, it's too much that early in the morning i enjoy breakfast food it's just i i yeah, you know, my stomach can't just i just i'll generally it. do the big breakfast and skip lunch entirely is kind of see that's I not do. a bad idea that's a good i think that's a good plan i like i like that um so I would have to say I'm a big life cereal guy. I, oh, nice. I, growing up, I never had like the real sugary cereals. Those were banned in my yeah. house. We had yeah. that. We, we had the life. We had the kicks. We had the, you know, the Cheerios, all that kicks stuff. Were pretty big, good. Yeah. Not a big Cheerio guy, but I, I like the kicks. I think life's got to be my point guard because that's just, you know, that's the floor general. That's the one that's the go-to. That's the one I like. If I'm going with center, I like the Kashi cereal or the, the you know, it's oh, like yeah, the, yeah. No, the wheats and, and like they've got some really good stuff it's hearty kind of makes you feel good you know it's mm-hmm. you can add it to other stuff i think if you added like high in fiber would be kind of cool yeah high in fiber i think that's a good uh that's a good center um i gotta go with you the the apple jacks the shooting guard the, the the one that's just like hey man like you really want something like you know bam right in your face like that's i like the i like the apple jacks um i don't know maybe small forward let's go let's go something that i don't normally have but I enjoyed, which would be Lucky Charms, a big Lucky Charms kind of guy. Yeah, uh, I just I, though that was the thing I only got. The only time I ever ate Lucky Charms was when we were on a road trip, which we did often. Um, most of our trip, we took a, a summer trip every year growing up. Well, nice. most of those trips were in our car, mm-hmm. and so we would go to some place. And when we stayed overnight at a hotel or a motel, uh, my parents would get us those like. Um, travel size cereal boxes where you open it up and then you pour the milk inside the box and then eat it out of the box and i always sprung for the lucky charms because that was what was available in those you know hotel lobbies and stuff and i never got it at home so it was like a special treat so i was a big fan of that power forward the one that's just gonna like dunk in your face oh man i would have to say I guess I'll have to go with the old standby. You know what though? I'll, I'll do it with a twist because I do like the the raisin bran, but I like the crunchy Ooh, raisin bran. I, God, like I can't believe I left raisin bran off. Like that's one cereal I've bought in adulthood. And <laughs> raisin bran is one of those things where you expect it to be like semi healthy, and it's not. It's, it's just as bad. <laughs> right, right. It's seriously like if you look at the nutritional content, it's just as bad as like. Um, it's like when you get a Cobb salad at Bob Evans, you're like, I'm yeah. having a salad, but it's, it's like 1100 calories. calories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's seriously like, I think, I think literally it has like 13 or 14 grams of sugar per serving. It's really hilarious how bad. Well, because the raisins concentrate the sugar in the grape. And, right? and then they like add just, sugar to it on top yeah, of sure, that too, which right. is even better. Um, so yeah, I would say like the raisin bread crunch though. That's my, that's my power for. So great question, Josh. Thank you for that. I, it's i i don't know uh that i can really understand the mind of a person who can create a question like that but that's why we ask <laughs> you to ask us anything because we'd love to answer uh, them I love um it. this one from our good friend alvin is slightly uh more sensical 
Um, what <laughs> is one country you've always wanted to visit? Okay, so I and it's funny because I have um I don't have just one answer to this question. This will not surprise right. you. Uh, but I have kind of what I'll call a, a professional bucket list of travel. I've been fortunate enough to do some travel internationally, um, you know, personally, when I was in high school and college, did kind of the seven, eight country tour of, of Europe, all the normal kind of tourist countries that you would, you would expect to hit, you know, Germany, Switzerland, uh, sure. the, you know, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Liechtenstein. I, I love that would go back to that part of Europe in a heartbeat um, place. But I have this, what I call my professional travel bucket list uh, places. I would love to go because I've in, in my day job as an agricultural journalist, countries that I report on all the time that are important to our country's agriculture, the, the global agriculture economy and global trade. Uh, mm -hmm. And those are, are China and Brazil. Now, I did have the chance a couple of years ago in grad school to go to Brazil, would go back to Brazil in a heartbeat, um, had a really good time there. So would like to maybe add Argentina to that list, but I'd really love to go to China. Uh, and in China, cool. I find fascinating for a lot of different reasons, but for my industry in agriculture, uh, huge customer and competitor to the U.S., but both customer and competitor, and, and it varies by year uh, and varies by commodity. And so uh, I've just I've spent a lot of the last 20 years talking about China in one story or another, and I'd love to go see it sometime because sometimes, you know, after you've after you've read about a place or heard about a place or talked about a place a long time you know, you maybe have a vision in your head of what you think it might be like, but I know that more often than not, that is fairly far removed from reality. Um, personally, I'd love to go to Japan. I've just read a lot of, um, of fiction mostly over the years, but that's set in Japan, mm -hmm. uh, and, or in, in Hong Kong. So back to my, my professional bucket list, but it's just that part of the world Andy in Vance, general. big anime fan. Well, you know, I wouldn't go that far. Actually, no, um, not, not at all, but there's this, uh, series of historical fiction by an author named James Clavell. So this is my book recommendation or books recommendation. Read James Clavell's, um, I think it's just called The Asian Saga, but it's about a seven book series. He uh, also wrote uh, the classic uh, Naruto and um, uh, Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if you knew that. I, I did not. You no, did know that because it's they're your favorites. No, thanks. Okay, great. <laughs> nice. Well played, Johnny. Well played. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was good. That was good. You had you had me there for a minute. I was like, no, no. That's, that's... <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool if he did. He'd be All very, right. Well, very what wealthy. about you? Because you've actually been to Japan, one of the places on the I lived list, in Japan. But, yeah. Um, where, 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 where would you like to go? Japan was actually really high on my list uh, right out of college, and, and I'm glad I was able to do that. Although, albeit, I, I definitely was in a part of Japan I never expected to be in, so that was interesting. But I, you know, nevertheless, great time. Um. You know, I've, I thought about this a lot. There, there's a lot of places I would like to visit. Uh, for my wife and I honeymoon, we went to Italy and Switzerland. Oh, Those are two wow. check marks that I, I absolutely were glad that we were Never able been to. to Italy, uh, but Switzerland was so great. Uh, we actually stayed right near the Matterhorn, and yeah. that was that was just an unbelievable experience. I was sick. Um, I would have to say, I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm you know, I, I like the combination of like culture and geography and all that. And so there's so many places like in France or Spain or Germany, or, you know, like a lot of kind of the, the ancient cultures in like Southeastern Asia, like places like India, Cambodia, like there, there are so many interesting places around the world. I mean, shoot, even, you know, like 
going to the Middle East and, and the you know little the little creation of civilization and yeah. you know the the Indus River Valley and Tigris and Euphrates and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I would say that one of the places I've always wanted to go to, I think maybe purely from a geographical standpoint, is just Norway, um, just because there's so much that about what it has to offer that i really enjoy same with iceland actually is, is another place i would really love to see um just because it feels like one of those places that you you, you really it's unique right a- among earth uh, among the planet um but i would I, I guess if i had you know an unlimited amount of time and money and things like that i would probably start in one of those two places and then some of the other cultural things that i'm interested in i would i'd probably hit up there but i i just i want to be able to to see you know the fjords and 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 the insane like blasted volcanic landscape of of iceland and you know the black sand beaches and all that kind of stuff that that's something i think i would really like to check out so i i think that would probably be my answer fun and uh 100 random coincidence i actually am wearing the flag of norway on my vest right now fantastic our our uh our dogs two of our three dogs are norwegian elk hounds and so our national uh, breed association you know puts out some merch as you would expect an organization to do and so have a nice little uh, silhouette of the elk hound superimposed over the flag of norway so you know I have no Norwegian heritage at all, but we do love our Norwegian dogs. So I too would like to go to Norway, um, but more to see the dogs than the countryside. Although the countryside uh, from everything I've read or pictures I've seen is absolutely stunning. So good choice, my friend, super jealous about the Italy thing. That's one. I, uh, one country I didn't get to do when I was in Europe, Switzerland, I loved, uh, absolutely would go back there in a heartbeat. The Lake Geneva region, mm-hmm. um, stunning, uh, Innsbruck, Austria, you know, the similar kind of vein in terms of the, the blend of oh, sure, yeah. history and geography, like being down, you were kind of in this wonderful Valley, um, in the mountains there. And it was just, it, it was all, it was all fantastic. You can't, you can't go wrong there. I totally get, although I did not backpack across Europe. Um, I totally get the draw that uh young people have for backpacking or taking the train or mm-hmm. across europe just i actually incredible. honest thinking about this like the comedy i really think spain is probably don't sleep you know one of those sleeper places where it's like man that would actually be really sick like barcelona my my barcelona my um sister studied abroad there uh nice. for for about six months and she said it was absolutely insane and incredible and i i would i think that's another place that i would want to check out uh, very much so yeah the, i mean there's a big wide world and there's a lot of really cool stuff in it and it's unfortunate sometimes that you know as americans we're kind of you know <laughs> financially isolated you know it, like you can hop on a plane but it's it's difficult to get to some of the places that other people can get much more easily so well, it's, but it's all a matter not of to hate on canada or mexico right obviously you know well, but, but, but to your too. point like it's a it's a matter of scope like the the u.s is so large geographically right that when we're talking about hey i'm going to take a trip because it's i i do this all the time when we go to the dog show thing where you just hop in the suburban and drive eight or ten hours mm-hmm. and that's not that big a deal where if we were in western europe you know, you could just hop on a train in theory and, and do the same kind of, oh, same kind I, of thing, right. I knew some dudes, some Irish dudes who would be like, yeah, I want to go down to Spain for a week. Like, cause you know, when we were living in Japan, whatever, we talk about where we would travel and stuff. Yeah. And one of the guys like, yeah, I'll, 60 euros for a flight. 
to Spain. I decided to do that over the weekend. I'm like, you guys suck. Like, shut yeah, up. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, that's, you know, that would be like a once in a lifetime trip for somebody living in middle America. But in Europe, it's like, eh, you know. Yeah. It's all, it's extra, all matters. Had an extra scope, 120 and... bucks lying around, decided I just wanted to go to Spain. Well, the show's getting uh, a little long here, but those were a couple of excellent questions. Well done, uh, friends, for sending those in. Remember to send in your questions for Ask Us Anything next time uh, because Kyle Jones won't be here every episode to keep us company. So Sad. you will get us through this long off season. All right. A couple of quick buck shots before we leave. We won't spend a lot of time on these in, uh, in, in the interest of the lateness of the hour, but uh, Ohio State defensive lineman Jacoby Cowan has entered the transfer portal, uh, popping in there right after the spring game, apparently seeing the writing on the wall. Denzel Ward signed a five-year deal worth $100.5 million, becoming the highest paid cornerback in NFL history. Gotta love that. But Johnny, the one I uh, just really made my weekend was the venerable Dick LeBeau. As I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite and, and I think most underrated uh, Ohio State University football alumni of all time had, I think, the quote of quotes at Ohio State's uh, coaches workshop symposium last week. LeBeau uh, said, I left three of my teeth out on Ohio Stadium, and I'd give the rest of them to get out there for one more play. <laughs> Has there ever been a more football guy quote than Dick LeBeau saying he'd give the rest of his teeth to get out on the turf and play one more time in Ohio yeah, Stadium? That's definitely some old school stuff, and uh, I love it out of Dick LeBeau. He's great. Why don't we talk more about Dick LeBeau? I, I, is it just a matter of... Because he was a the, bad Bengals coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well so my question was I actually it, no it, i honestly think that's part of it though like i think it some people are like ah well you know Dick LeBeau. but yeah he was a coordinator and that's great but i think people want to like remember you know oh, how'd you do at the head coaching level and he did not do a very good job with that do, so. do you think people realize his bona fides as an ohio state player is it is was that no that i don't think so ago? was that that long enough ago i mean pretty good nfl player too um yeah. for the lions but i mean you're, you're talking about a guy that played for Woody Hayes and was really good. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I, I, I think it really is just, it was too long ago. And so it, it's all going to be about his, his coaching career, which again, as a coordinator, you know, hall of fame at it, right? Like the guy yes, is just unbelievable, absolutely. but, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's probably it, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Well count me uh, among the, the committee to properly uh, recognize Dick LeBeau for being an awesome uh, Buckeye player and very cool. Actually, the, the thing I want to say about that is very cool of Ryan Day was one of uh, LeBeau was one of two Ohio State legends honored with the Ohio's finest award during the coaches workshop. Keith Byers being the other who received the award after being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in December. And uh, I, I think that's great. You know, Ohio State does a nice job of bringing back. There were a truckload of alumni on the sidelines guys like Orlando pace um during the spring game but i loved seeing dick lebeau mentioned all right friend great episode uh, appreciate kyle jones again for joining us if you haven't read his film study go do that until next week i'm andy i'm johnny thanks for joining us on the 11 dubcast